If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to take it and open it to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, and we'll be reading verses 24 to 28. And today I am reading from the NIV. If you are uh, physically able, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 9, excuse me, not Matthew, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 um, and through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Christ and his work on our behalf. Lord, we pray that you would take this scripture and use it to transform us and to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you at some point in your educational career probably had a teacher, a mean, nasty teacher who made an assignment of you. This is probably an English or literature teacher. And they told you to read something. And then they said, compare and contrast these things that are in this work or maybe a couple of different things. And oh, that was awful. It made your brain hurt, didn't it? Having to think so hard and, and do all that work. Well, I want to tell you that mean, nasty teacher you had did not invent compare and contrast. But actually, it's been around, well, I know at least for 2,000 years. Because the author of Hebrews wrote this whole book, and it was all about compare and contrast. You see, Jesus, Jesus was the center of the book of Hebrews, and it was all about the idea that Jesus is better. Better than what, you ask? Fill in the blank, the author of the Hebrews would say. And he was talking to a bunch of folks who had been religious, strict, observant Jews. And then they had heard about the Messiah, the coming one who fulfilled the law. And they had accepted that word and they had become Christians because this was the Messiah that they had waited on. And they were excited and happy about it. And everything was great until it wasn't. Life started getting tough. And and they started realizing that a lot of people who left them alone when they were Jews. They didn't, you know, they may have thought they, was, they were a little bit weird or strange, but they kind of left them alone. Now that they were Christians, they weren't leaving them alone anymore. They were starting to make remarks. They were starting to look at them funny. They were starting to persecute them. It, it wasn't yet people being killed 
Because the author of Hebrews said, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So they weren't killing Christians yet at this point, but life was getting rough for the Christians. And so some of these folks started thinking, you know, we never had this problem when we were just regular old Jews. Before we heard about this Jesus guy, I mean, we, we still worshiped God and and everything was pretty good. But then when we heard about the Messiah had come and his name was Jesus, and we, we put our faith in him and it was awesome. But all these problems started coming with it. And so some of them said, you know, maybe we could just kind of go back to what we were doing before. I mean, we were still worshiping God. I mean, yeah, it wasn't all complete, but maybe if we just backslid a little bit, if we back down a bit, then some of the heat will come off. And life will get easier. And the author of, the Hebrew, of Hebrews, who isn't named, so there's all kinds of theories for who he is. I'm going to call him Barnabas, okay? That's one of the top theories. It may not be right, but I'm going to call him Barnabas. So Barnabas, who was an encourager, we know from the book of Acts, he said, wait a minute, I need to encourage you guys. Don't backslide. Don't step away. Don't go back to the old Jewish religion you were part of because everything about Jesus is better than the old system. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, it's all about Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus compared to the angels, he's better. Jesus compared to the Old Testament prophets, he's better. Jesus compared to the high priest, he's better. And on and on and on, encouraging these folks, don't fall back, don't backslide, because Jesus is better than this old system that you were accustomed to. Now, we call this Christ versus the old covenant in, in this passage because I want us to take just this little passage and see how it illustrates the, the whole theme of Hebrews about how Jesus is better. And we see it just in these few verses. First of all, in this passage, Barnabas says, hey, Jesus is better what he did because of the location of where he did it. He said, think about those old high priests. They would come every single year into the temple. Well, everybody could go into the temple, right? I mean, most everybody. And then, well, they'd walk past the court of the Gentiles. That is, there was a place where, you know, non-Jewish people could go. And they walked into that and through that and passed it. And then they went to what was called the court of women because any Jewish person, man or woman, could go into that. And then they walked further in to where only men could go. And then they walked further in to where only priests could go. But then once a year, beyond even the, the normal holy place, there was the holy of holies. The most holy place that only the high priest could go into, and he could go only once a year. Nobody else. And by the way, you know, we always say, oh, well, there's exceptions. You know, oh, what, what if a priest gets in there and he gets sick and he's, he's disabled or he, he dies? Uh-uh, still can't send one, someone else in. So you know what they did? They tied a rope around his leg. And they said, we feel sorry for old uh, high priest Elijah. We're going to have to drag him out, but we ain't going in there. You know, they didn't have to see the, the Indiana Jones to know getting around that Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, bad things could happen. They knew you did not go into the Holy of Holies. They knew that was a no-no, only the high priest. So he'd go in there once a year, now remember, all year long, there was regular sacrifices being made. But once a year, he'd go in there uh, to, to the Ark of the Covenant, and, and he would sprinkle the blood. 
as a renewal of this covenant. And the author of Hebrews says, oh, Jesus didn't go into that holy of holy. You know how special this place was? He, he says, oh, Jesus didn't go into that holy of holies. He said that one, it's just a copy. It's just a shadow of the real thing. Because he said back in the Old Testament, whenever God was laying out the dimensions and, and how the temple was supposed to be, there was a plan. Because guess what? He said there was already a perfect tabernacle, a perfect temple in heaven. And the ones that we have here on earth, they're just copies. They're just the next best thing, but they're not the real original thing. And so he starts off by saying, first of all, think about how much better Jesus' work is because he didn't go to the copy. You know, this wasn't the off-Broadway version. This, this wasn't the second best because I live far away version. This is, I'm going to the real place. Barbara said, right here in the presence of God himself, Jesus went into the true temple that exists in heaven. And so his sacrifice was so much better than anything some old high priest could do. A second point he made was the frequency. How often? Remember, we said this is a real special thing only once a year. I mean, we think once a year, things are pretty special, right? We got Thanksgiving. We just passed, you know, the, the Halloween and the, the trunk or treat season. That was a special. And then we look forward to Thanksgiving. Some of us already, we're thinking about that turkey, thinking about that dressing, uh, thinking about all those good things. And that's a once a year, and we, we kind of give ourselves permission to cheat a little bit. You know, well, I only eat that much once a year, and, and we're excited. And then, of course, Christmas. So once a year, things are pretty special to us. But Barnabas said, oh, that isn't anything compared to Christ. Not just once a year, once for all time. Jesus did not die. He said, in fact, if Jesus was like any ordinary high priest, because he was not offering some, some random you know, lamb, however special and without blemish it was supposed to be, he was offering himself. He said Christ would have had to suffer every single year if, if his sacrifice was no better than what the high priest of the Old Testament could do. But he said Christ suffered once. Once. Once in all of eternity. Once in all of history Christ took on the sin of the world from all time. From beginning to end, he took it all upon himself at once. And that once, not a year or a decade or even a lifetime, but that once in all of recorded time event was so much greater and so much more special than the things that seemed so special in the old covenant system. And yet when they were compared to the true sacrifice they were nothing compared to that, that sacrifice for all time. And then a third thing was the difference of hope. The difference of the hope that came through these sacrifices. You see, in those early sacrifices, they had in the Old Testament a, a somewhat vague idea of 
there's going to be a Messiah coming, and he's going to do some good things for us. And so they could hope and look forward to that. In fact, as we as a church every year, when we celebrate Advent season, we're putting ourselves into that mindset of Old Testament believers who are watching and waiting for the first Advent or the first coming of Christ. But Barnabas here says, look, there is something so much better about the situation we're in now because of Jesus. Because we get to read, we get to see all that he did when he came the first time. And that he completely settled the matter of sin. That he completely took care of it. You see, a lot of the, the Old Testament saints, or the, at least the Jews in Jesus' day, they were kind of confused or mixed up. I mean, they kind of thought, eh, you know, it'd be, it'd be fine for this whole sin thing, for God to help us with that. But that's not the big issue. You know, the big issue is these oppressive people that are over. The Romans, you know, they're so different. Um, things were so different in the ancient world because we're all happy with politics and leaders and, and all that nowadays, right? So we can't relate at all. But these ancient Israelites, they were fussing and cussing and mad all the time. And they just thought if we get a better leader, if we get a better ruler, if we could throw these bums out and get a good one in, if God would just send us a good one, then everything's going to be all right. But see, they did not understand that while that may have been a problem, their leaders, their government, that wasn't their big problem. Their big problem was a sin problem. The big problem was not the world outside them, the government above them. It was what was in them, in their heart. And Jesus came to die on the cross to settle that sin problem. And so the author of Hebrews says, yeah, they got to look forward to a coming Messiah, but we know what the Messiah already did the first time around. We know so much more. We understand how he's already died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And we know that this next time he is coming to rule. We know that he's already died on the cross and he's not dying again. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He's coming again as the Lord of the earth. He's coming again to return to his own, to complete their salvation, to take us out of a sinful world and to bring us into a paradise. We've got something to look forward to that is so much greater than what the Old Testament saints could look forward to. Well, these are just three, three reasons out of the many, many reasons that Hebrews gives us for why Jesus is better. And I hope that, you know, maybe refresh some things in your mind or, or maybe even learned a little something new. But if we only say that Jesus is better than ancient Judaism, that's a nice, interesting thing for us to say. But I'm not sure that that helps us a whole lot in, the, um, in our current life. I mean, are any of you former um, Orthodox Jews? I want to make sure I didn't, I think I know my congregation. Okay, none of you are. So none of you are, I'm not worried about a single one of you backsliding into Orthodox Judaism. All right, I'm not concerned about that. But what we can take as the lesson of Hebrews is just that Jesus and the true gospel is better than ancient Judaism. It's also better than whatever you might backslide into. Now, I want you to think for a minute. I'm not going to 
raise hands, call on testimony, but I want you to answer for yourself a, a question and do it honestly because you're not telling me it's just you and God in your mind. Are you as close to God as you ever have been? Are you at that point right now where you're saying, man, I'm more in love with Jesus. I'm closer to him than I've ever been. I'm growing every day and, and, and it's, I just love it. If that is you, that's awesome. Keep it up. But for a lot of us, if we're honest, we're going to say, you know, there was a point in the past when I was more on fire for God. There was a point in the past when I loved him more. There was a point in the past where I reached out to others in Christ's name to provide for them the things that they needed. Or I was more open about sharing my faith. And, and we could give more examples, but in other words, if you're honest with yourself, a lot of us telling the truth in our minds to nobody else, but we're saying, yeah, I'm not where I once was. And so if you're not going for, forward, the biblical term is you're backsliding. You're getting further away from God. You're not where you once were in your faith. And I don't think any of you are backsliding to Judaism, but some of you may be backsliding to something else. Maybe it's a backsliding to a faith that's all about knowledge, about how much you know without actually putting in effort. Maybe it's a, a, a backsliding to a faith that's totally God-centered, but forgets that second commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. And so you can quote verses and you can preach and tell everyone how, what God says, but you have not stepped out to help someone in need. Uh, maybe it's a casual Christianity that keep silent all the time. It's a Christianity that says, well, I love God, I love Jesus, but you know, there's some stuff that's changed in our world. And so when things in the Bible about the value of life or about sexuality or about how we're to treat the poor or, or other things that maybe are unpopular, oh, do you know what God has a lot to say in Scripture about how we treat foreigners? So maybe you have backslidden to a place in your life where you're doing Christianity light. You're like, I'm going to do the parts that I like, that comfort me, that encourage me. But the parts that kind of cause me stress, you know, maybe people might think I'm a weirdo if I actually believe what God says. I'm just going to kind of leave those off. I mean, we, we think, well, I'll just, this is a great buffet. I'm going to pick and choose the things that work for me. And if you're at that place, you're just like these Hebrews who slid back. And you're not where you need to. And you know, Hebrews has some scary passages. They're called the warning passages. And they're, we won't get into all that today. But I'm going to tell you, I would disagree with some folks who take those warning passages as a, you're going to lose your salvation. I don't believe that's what those warning passages were about. I believe they were passages warning true believers that they are real consequences 
when we step away from God's will and work in his life, when we backslide and say, I'm going to take the easy way out rather than sticking with God, even when it doesn't seem to make sense according to our world, even when others don't look at me just right or think I'm weird, I'm going to love God no matter what. If we don't have that, we begin to backslide. So what's your Judaism in your life? This, again, is a question that only you can answer. What is that thing in your life that you backslide to, that you comfort zone to, that you cocoon yourself in and cause yourself to get distant from God? Because I'm going to tell you that if Barnabas was here today, he'd say three words. Jesus is better. If you think you're saving yourself some trouble, if you think you're saving yourself some grief, if you think whatever you think is better about your backslide that's particular to you, Barnabas would say, Jesus is better. And I'm going to tell you that any of us who have ever by the grace of God, had a little time of struggle or heartache where we did, by his grace, somehow cling on to him and not backslide. You know what? We never regret that. We never look back and say, oh, you know, I wish I'd have compromised more. You know, I I just wish I'd have just lived like the world. This whole, no. When we get through to the other side of that turmoil or strife that we are living with, we always get to that point where we say, oh, God, I never have made it without you. But thank you that by your grace and by your mercy, you kept me with you. You kept me close. Thank you, God. And you will never regret that. So whenever you're tempted to not persevere, to not hang on, to not stay close to God, Remember the message of Hebrews that Jesus is better. Let's pray. God, we accept substitutes all the time. And that may be better, Lord, if we're grocery shopping and we buy the store brand. But, Lord, there is no substitute for your word. And anytime we get away from it, from our relationship with you, from the commands that you've given us, God, those substitutes will always disappoint. They will always fail us. Remind us of that, God. Help us to remember that Jesus is better than anything in this world that we may desire. Set our hearts on you, God. Help us to be where we need to be with you, Lord. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.